Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I have never seen him that distraught. Nature's deadliest organisms. It's just mind-boggling. They hijack our bodies. These are the deadliest parasites on the planet. Disable our immune systems. I knew nothing. And eat us from within. I was scared to death. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Rodney and Rachel Nash live just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I love Rachel with all my heart. I can't imagine life without her. He's very thoughtful and he notices everything. Like if you cut your hair, if you did something new, he's very sweet and endearing. They're both scientists. Rachel works in project management and Rodney is in stem cell research. Only a scientist can understand another scientist it's incredibly nice to have someone that I can talk to about my job that understands where I'm coming from. The working couple is also raising three young children. Our oldest is Benjamin, who's six. Our youngest is Hannah. She's two. And our middle child is David. He's four. David is very energetic. He does not stop. And helping the couple manage their busy household is Rodney's mother, Tommy Nash. I'm over here taking care of the kids three to four days a week, depending on Rodney's and Rachel's schedule. Being a grandmother can be a full-time job. It's the end of August. Rodney and Rachel and four-year-old David are at the dinner table together. We were having a, a typical Friday evening dinner. And David starts coughing. It was a deep cough. Next thing you know, he just threw up everything he just ate. And it was odd that he threw up. I just assumed flu season's here. But 
It was nothing that we hadn't seen before. It was nothing to really alarm me. Rodney and Rachel put David to bed early. The next day, they keep David inside to rest. We're watching superhero cartoons. And he leaned his head up against me, and I noticed that his face was very warm and and flush. David had a low-grade fever. It wasn't, again, anything alarming. It wasn't 103. We decided we should give him ibuprofen to reduce the fever. But David's slight fever lingers through the next day. Sunday evening, we put David to bed. And we're realizing that he has this very noticeable wheezing. His breathing was so labored. Maybe he's having a problem breathing because he has allergies. I took him out of his bed and put him in our bed. We can make him better here at home. That's what we thought. I had no idea that it would be worse. No idea. No idea. To help his breathing, they give David allergy medication. The next morning, David's breathing seems easier, but because of his lingering fever, they keep him out of school. So they call Rodney's mother, Tommy, to look after him. I took one look at at David in the chair, and he was balled up in a knot, and he was breathing real heavy. And I told Rodney he needs to go to the hospital. But Rachel and I thought my mother's there with him. She's going to doctor him up really well. He'll be okay. No parent is perfect. You know, we didn't come with a book that solves all of the issues. Rodney and Rachel leave David in Tommy's care. He was just moaning, mm, like that, and then trying to breathe. I was afraid of it being pneumonia. Pneumonia is a condition where the lungs fill with fluid. In extreme cases, and particularly with children, it can be fatal. That was scary. I really felt that he needed to go to the hospital. Tommy alerts Rachel about David's downward spiral. And Rachel leaves work to see for herself. I came home and David was worse. And I said that, yes, we probably should take him to the emergency room. Immediately, Rachel and Tommy take David to the children's hospital. There, pediatrician Dr. Robert Dixon assesses David's case. His airways had clamped down. His air passages were clogging up with mucus. This was something more than what we initially anticipated. And I just walked back and forth and paced and prayed. Dr. Dixon puts David on a nebulizer, a device that converts liquid medication into a mist so that it can be inhaled. David hated the nebulizer treatment. I would have to hold a mask over his face for him to get the medication. I have never seen him that distraught before, never, you know. Rachel lets Rodney know that David is in the hospital 
and he leaves work immediately to be by his son's side. I was really concerned about what I was going to see when I first walked in there. When I saw him, he looked very afraid. And he can't breathe at all. Ugh. Doctors run numerous tests to no avail. And David remains on the nebulizer treatment for several hours. Then Dr. Dixon checks the boy's oxygen levels. David's oxygen levels were dangerously low. <sighs> David was suffering from a life-threatening condition and we didn't know the exact cause. I'm really concerned at this point that he's gonna stop breathing. It was just that, uh, that intense. In just three days, four-year-old David Nash has gone to the brink of death. While doctors have been unable to determine the cause of his condition, it turns out that David isn't the only victim of this mysterious disease. There were reports out of the Center for Disease Control. Um, there were clusters of respiratory illnesses, and some quite severe. Dr. Dixon informs the family that David's condition is part of a nationwide outbreak. So based on his clinical presentation, he was infected with the enterovirus D68. And neither one of us ever heard of this, ever. Inside David's body, the enterovirus D68 invades the cells in his nose, mouth, throat, and lungs. As the virus replicates, the host cells burst. The immune system responds by creating a thick mucus. But the viral colonies continue to expand, causing the mucus to accumulate and overwhelm his lungs, drowning him in his own fluids. This leads to his coughing, wheezing, and labored breathing. But there's even worse news. There is no treatment for the virus. Our slow reaction to this could have cost our son his life. I'm supposed to be the, the scientist, the, the, the person who knows what's going on, and I knew nothing. I knew nothing. Enterovirus D68 often targets cells in the respiratory system and cause a rapid accumulation of mucus. During the 2014 outbreak, more than 1,100 people became infected, most of them children. Enterovirus D68 can lead to respiratory failure, paralysis, and even death. The outcome could be death. It seems a little closer to home now. It was a lot, a lot to handle. It was a lot. <laughs> All doctors can do is treat the symptoms. They hope that David's immune system will be able to battle the virus on its own. We used an oscillation vest to break up some of that mucus in his chest. They turn it on and all of a sudden it starts shaking him. David remains on the vest throughout the night, which doctors hope will buy him enough time for his immune system to adapt to the enterovirus. Deep breath, David. 
tears will roll down his eyes and his cheek. It's heart-wrenching when you can't do anything more for him. The next morning, the family sees a dramatic change. There's David saying, hey, Dada, as if nothing had happened. He's breathing on his own, like his lifeline is there now. Enterovirus D68 can be found in respiratory secretions, such as saliva and phlegm, or even in the feces. It can also survive on surfaces, such as tables or door handles, for several days. Uninfected people contract the virus when it comes into contact with the mucous membranes of the mouth, eyes, or nose. Children and infants are most susceptible to extreme infections because of their weaker immune systems. I believe David was infected in the classroom around other children. My boy David, his first day. That's where I think he got it from. A few days later, David's immune system is gradually able to eradicate the enterovirus infection. We were able to send David home in, in, in great shape. Uh, I feel like the luckiest man in the world. I really do. Today, David has made a full recovery. I had baby home. He's living life. He's uh, enjoying being, uh, being David. Try to take every precaution that I can and not waiting if he has to go to the doctor. It was a good lesson. It was a good lesson for all of us. Enterovirus D68 is highly contagious. There is no vaccine, and even alcohol-based hand sanitizers offer no protection because the virus is resistant to alcohol. The best defense is frequent hand washing with hot water and soap. Paul could lose a leg. I was to blame. Ken and Rachel Franklin live in Orange County, California. We met in college. It was a Halloween party. I was dressed as a hockey player with my teeth blacked out, and she was a tooth fairy. We're kind of opposites. He is very driven and go, 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 and I like to go slowly. She's the more intellectual one. I think we're a good match. They have two children, four-year-old Luke and seven-year-old Paul. Luke, he loves playing on his iPad. And Paul always wants to be in the water. He's just an adventurous little boy. Paul just finds a way to puncture himself constantly, it seems like. It's, it's really quite amazing. It's July. The family is enjoying a camping trip along the central California coast. It's a bit of a rocky beach, and Paul and I took a little exploratory walk. He was not really paying attention to where he was going. There was a rock at least 18 inches tall sticking out. He actually tripped over it and really scraped his knee. Blood was trickling down his leg. No one likes to see their child bleeding, but it was just not out of the ordinary at all. So Ken takes Paul over to Rachel. His knee was bleeding quite a bit, so I grabbed the first aid kit and I wiped it off with an antiseptic wipe and then put a bandage over it. 
Paul was in pain, and I think the blood probably freaked him out a little bit. But I wasn't too concerned because he is an active boy, and little scrapes and bumps and bruises happen all the time. For a week, Rachel and Ken treat the wound on Paul's knee. One day, we were changing the bandage, and it just didn't seem to be healing. It didn't turn into a scab, just kept seeping and seeping. It was still pink and kind of raw. It was not getting any smaller. I said, well, maybe it just needs to air dry so it can scab over. I was just leaving it alone, keeping it clean and dry. A couple days later, Ken puts Paul back on his feet. I took Paul ice skating at the local ice rink, but he fell within the first few minutes of being on the ice on the same spot where he had the wound. Ken takes Paul to the locker room to get a better look. He was crying. The blood completely engulfed his Band-Aid. I definitely felt guilty. And I thought maybe I shouldn't have taken him skating at all. It was just bleeding so much, we just, we had to stop and go home and take care of it. At home, Ken dresses the reopened wound. We went straight to the bathroom, was bleeding. The bandage just fall off and they get soaked with blood. I was looking through the cabinet trying to find something and I noticed that we did have some liquid bandage. Liquid bandage is a topical skin adhesive that prevents bleeding and seals up a wound. I made sure it looked very, very clean and then applied the liquid bandage over top of it. Paul was definitely very uncomfortable and put up a little bit of a fight, but it really seemed like it was working. It was an extra layer of skin. It was probably the answer to help this wound heal. The next morning, Ken heads to work early and Rachel goes to wake up Paul. I went into Paul's bedroom and he was complaining about his knee. When I looked at it, it had swollen to the size of a large orange. It was pretty frightening to see that. Rachel encourages Paul to get up. Paul couldn't really put a lot of weight on his knee. He was limping. He was in discomfort, for sure. That was definitely cause for alarm. Seven-year-old Paul Franklin has a swelling the size of an orange on his knee. His mother, Rachel, rushes him to urgent care. We're sitting there in the doctor's office. The doctor came in and I explained what had happened and how Paul's knee was red and swollen. But the doctor got very agitated about the fact that there was liquid bandage on it. I didn't know that Ken had put that on his knee. The doctor said that when you have an open wound, you have to let it have air. The minute that you cut off the oxygen supply, if there's any kind of bacteria in there, you're just leaving it to fester. He said, well, we need to get that off immediately. So he sent Paul to the nurse to take off the liquid bandage. I was really blaming Ken. The knee never looked that bad, and it was never infected. I did not deserve the Dad of the Year award that day. Once the liquid bandage is removed, the doctor examines the wound. He took a look at the knee. He touched it at that point, 
just to feel how swollen it was. And the knee was very hot to the touch. He said this could potentially be MRSA. MRSA stands for methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. It is caused by the Staph bacteria, and as the name suggests, it's resistant to many antibiotics. The doctor was concerned that you're dealing with something that's very, very difficult to treat. I was getting pretty worked up at that point. I obviously made a mistake putting on the liquid bandage. It was pretty scary. The doctor prescribes a combination of antibiotics for MRSA. And for six days, Paul takes the medication. Then, Rachel takes the boy back in for a checkup. The pediatrician took a look at it and said the wound was healing. And basically at this point, it was very small and looked like it was filled with pus. Pus is a sticky fluid that results from the accumulation of white blood cells. It typically indicates the body is battling an infection. The doctor said, just leave it alone since we are dealing with a staph infection. Don't drain it. Let the body get rid of the infection on its own. I was so relieved that his knee was responding to the antibiotics. Rachel takes Paul home. But the next day, she notices something troubling. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. I came home from work and Paul was complaining about his knee again. I was kneeling down and looking at his wound and it does not look good at all. I saw that the skin had broken. The wound is is completely black. There was something weird going on with this black stuff under his skin. It was green with pus, about the size of, of a dime around the wound. And I was just thinking, oh no, it must be gangrene. Gangrene occurs when blood stops flowing to body tissue. In severe cases, the only way to remove the gangrenous tissue is through amputation. Paul could lose a leg. It was very scary to have that be a possibility for my my son. I knew I was going to take him to the emergency room, but I just couldn't stop looking at the wound. I decided I need to get this pus out of the way. I don't care if the doctor said, leave the wound alone, don't drain it. I'm going to the emergency room anyway, so I'm just going to squeeze all the pus out of it. I said, Paul, just hold still and let me see what is going on here. But he was squirming. He didn't want me to touch it. But Rachel proceeds. I just took my two fingers and pushed together and out came some pus and also came out this large, pretty big black object out of his knee. We were just both shocked. Then I realized, oh my God. Against doctor's orders, Rachel Franklin has just squeezed the pus out of her son Paul's infected wound. And out pops a mysterious black object. We were just both shocked. I thought it was a a rock or something, but whatever it was, it just came right out in one piece. And this object has a peculiar characteristic. I'm peering at this object, and it just has a strange look about it. And then I realize it's not a rock. It has whorls on it. And I turn it over, and I think I might have even just laughed out loud. I said, Paul, this is a snail. It's a freaking snail. The snail that came out of Paul's knee is known as Litterina scutulata. Inside the tissue above Paul's knee, the snail has been growing. Its presence, detected by the body's immune system, has caused the inflammation, buildup of pus, and black-looking tissue. It was just too strange to be true. (laughs) And Paul, like, typical boy style, like... He just thinks it's cool. <laughs> Litterina scutulata is a sea snail that can survive in a wide variety of temperatures and salt levels and can even live out of water for several weeks by retreating inside its shell. 
It lives in the harshest of intertidal zones and can survive for weeks in a wide variety of temperatures and salt levels. The subcutaneous tissue of the human body mirrors the harsh conditions where sea snails normally survive. But Paul has his own assessment. It was crazy. <laughs> when I had talked to Rachel, she was like, you won't believe what happened today. And I just cut her off right there and I said, wait a second, did a, did a snail come out of Paul's knee? And she said, yes, how did you know that? I said, well, Paul told me, but I didn't believe him. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> it just seems like a very unlikely, unbelievable scenario. Paul uh, affectionately named the snail Turbo. <laughs> but how did the snail get inside Paul's body? The Litterina scutulata snail is commonly found along the Pacific coast of North America. After they hatch, the emerging sea snails consume the linings of their own eggs. When they mature, the snails migrate out of the water and onto rocks alongside the ocean shore. Likely scenario is that a snail got into his wound when he scratched it on the rock. It was amazing. Paul was back to his normal self within minutes of the snail coming out. It healed up so nicely. But unfortunately, the snail did not last very long. We still have the shell, and it's going to be a, a, probably the highlight of his baby book, I would say, when he's older. <laughs> Many organisms attack the human body through open wounds. The World Health Organization recommends washing wounds thoroughly with soap and sterile water, applying an antiseptic, and dressing the wound with a clean piece of gauze daily. We were all shocked. Oh my God, now what? The Granger family lives in Glen Cove, New York. Mom, Gina, works at a local hospital, while Dad, Albert, is a dentist. I was born and raised in Glen Cove. It's a small town feel. I really enjoy it. We're a very close-knit family. We're always there for each other. They have two daughters, Jessica and Kelly. Jessica works in retail. My perfect day would be to go shopping. While Kelly is a college student who loves international travel. I like to explore and I like to really get to the nitty gritty of things. As a mother, it's scary when your child travels any place. But when Kelly finds something that she's truly interested in, she gives it her all. It's early July. Kelly has just returned home from a study abroad trip to Ghana in Africa. She looked healthy, she looked happy, she looked tanned. And we were just so glad she was safe back in the U.S. To celebrate, Gina and Albert arrange a welcome home dinner for their daughter. Pizza happens to be one of Kelly's favorite meals. So we had a wonderful pizza dinner. And the rest of us were enjoying ourselves, and she just did not seem to connect with the meal. When I was eating, I felt repulsed. I just felt I had no appetite. What is going on? This kid loves pizza. This is the meal she came home for. They were worried, but I kept assuring them, don't worry about me. But Kelly's lack of appetite lingers for four more days and Jessica notices it's having a larger impact. It was 80 degrees and sunny, 
I came into the living room to see if Kelly wanted to come outside, and she was just kind of laying there. I thought it was unusual that she wasn't hanging out with her family, and she was inside. I was just so tired. I didn't have it in me to even go out and enjoy all of those things. But I didn't think I was sick. And so I just relaxed. Jessica lets her sister Kelly rest, but alerts her mother. A few hours later, Gina confronts Kelly. I was concerned about Kelly. A mother's job is to protect her child. So I would rather err on the side of safety versus to overlook something. So I decided it was a good idea to take her to the doctor. But I was so convinced I was just fine. I just did not see the point personally. Still, Kelly begrudgingly agrees to visit the doctor. At the pediatrician's office, they did all the normal things, took my blood pressure, took my temperature, asked how I was feeling. I just told her I was really tired. The pediatrician finds that Kelly has a low-grade fever. She diagnosed me with jet lag. And we said, okay. I knew it was a long trip, so I decided maybe I would just give her a chance to catch up on a rest. Gina and Kelly go back home. And later that night, Kelly is lying in bed. When I went to sleep, I had just the most vivid, scary dream. I remember lots of blue and shadowy figures. And then just a lot of action and commotion. And at the very end, this voice said to me, this happens to everybody before the next step. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody about this. Or else there will be consequences. I just woke up on the floor in a knot of sheets and being scared out of my mind. Just being very confused. It was so creepy. But the voice told me not to talk about it. And so I didn't say anything. The next night, the nightmare recurs. This night I had another very scary dream. That same intimidating voice told me again, do not talk about these dreams. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about this. That voice told me again, you're getting ready for the next step. I was put in a series of obstacles and challenges. I was walking in my home and did not know where I was going. That was very scary. The next morning, Kelly's nightmares become a reality. My environment was completely distorted. I've been living in this house for the majority of my life, and I walked into every single wall. On that day, Kelly came downstairs to the kitchen. I noticed that she was just kind of staggering. She was almost like hallucinating. I was very concerned. That was the turning point. The family rushes Kelly to the ER. They fully examined her from head to toe. Under the fluorescent light, the emergency doctor could tell that she was very jaundiced. Jaundice is a yellowing of the skin and eyes that often occurs when there's a problem with the liver. 
It can be a sign of liver disease, blood disease, or infection. I didn't know what it could be at that point, but I was frightened. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Sunil Sood takes over Kelly's case. When we entered the room, we observed that Kelly was in what we would call a delirium. That's an alarming symptom. Whatever she had was now rapidly evolving. Dr. Sood orders numerous blood tests. Based on the blood tests, Kelly had malaria. We were all shocked. Oh my God, now what? Kelly is infected with a parasite called Plasmodium falciparum. Inside Kelly's body, the Plasmodium parasites invade the red blood cells. There, the parasites multiply aggressively until the cell bursts, depriving her organs of oxygen. As the Plasmodium parasites spread across her body, they lead to her fever, jaundice, and hallucinations. There are all these things in her body that were just taking over. I was scared to death. Malaria is the deadliest parasitic disease on the planet. Globally, around 580,000 people die each year from the condition. In the liver, each single plasmodium parasite can multiply 10,000 times. From there, the plasmodium parasites burst into the bloodstream where they attack the red blood cells en masse. Malaria infections can result in permanent brain damage and death. Plasmodium falciparum malaria is the most dangerous type of malaria that a human can get. It actually felt like the hospital walls were closing in on me. I just felt like I was suffocating. But anti-malarial medication does not rid her of the infection. So Dr. Sood takes a drastic approach. An exchange transfusion was the best way to rapidly clear the parasite from the blood. They're taking almost three-fourths of her blood out of her body. It was brown and thick. Well, at that point, I was in God's hands. Kelly reaches out and touches my hand and says, Hey, Dad, how you doing? I was like, oh, my God. I said, oh, my God. It was a miracle. Just like that. He started crying, and then... I think that was the moment when I realized like, <laughs> something had really, something really bad had happened. And I didn't, hadn't, hadn't quite grasped. So, yeah. The plasmodium parasite cycles between two hosts, a human and a female mosquito. When infected mosquitoes take blood meals from humans, they inject the human hosts with plasmodium parasites, and the humans become infected. Malaria is endemic in most countries in tropical regions across the world. It's particularly prevalent in Africa. Kelly did take anti-malarial medications while she was abroad but she forgot one important thing. When I was in Ghana, I went hiking up in the mountains and I had forgotten my bug spray. Even if you take your preventive medication regularly, there is still a small chance that you could get the infection. And so that turned out to be a potentially fatal mistake. Four days later, Dr. Sue discharges Kelly and she makes a full recovery. 
Today, five years later, she's preparing for dental school. But she's learned an important lesson about traveling abroad. Definitely take the proper precautions. Get that bed net. Put that bug spray on and bring some extra just in case. Every little bit helps because you, you just never know. If Kelly does not properly take care of herself, if she goes to a third world country again, I'll kill her myself. <laughs> <laughs> the CDC recommends using DEET-based insect repellent and to take the full course of malaria prophylactic medicines before, during, and after traveling through endemic regions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.